but I will tell you what has helped me a lot to understand that I am a nuanced human being filled with contradictions hmm. and to move all of those contradictions forward, you know, no matter how slowly, we just all have to keep going forward. And to me, that that's the thing that's really helped me is that I am both extremely driven and lazy. I am both incredibly smart and ridiculously unaware of my blind spots. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. And I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. The adversities in our stories have the potential to propel us into the person we're meant to be or hold us as a victim to our circumstances. I have found through my own life and through the thousands of people I've seen walk through our framework at OnSite that every one of us have the potential to reframe our stories and embrace ourselves for who we truly are. Our guest this week is a master of the concept of reframing and understanding story. My friend Don Miller and his company, Business Made Simple, through their story brand framework day in and day out, teaches businesses, professionals, individuals, brands, everything they need to know to grow a business, often helping them clarify their brand message by understanding the story framework that they developed. As a memoir writer, Don has offered the world the opportunity to make sense of their own stories by reflecting his own path through multiple New York Times bestsellers. Don's personal story reminds me that we don't have to get stuck being one thing. We have room to grow, evolve, and become someone new. And ultimately, that we are all multifaceted, complex beings, and there is so much power in embracing this reality. We recorded this podcast well over a year ago, and due to some of the complications of last year, I am really excited to finally get to share it with you because Don, as always, offers such an inspiring invitation for us to compassionately look at our lives in the context of story in a way that removes us from viewing ourselves with the lens of a victim as we continue growing and celebrating who we are and walking into who we were meant to be. I can't wait to share my friend Don with you. Well, here we are. My friend, Donald Miller. Welcome, Don, to the Living Center Podcast. Thanks for joining us this morning. Miles, it's great to have you on the program. <laughs> it does feel kind of strange that you're on. A, I think I've been on. Here. I was just trying to throw you off. <laughs> Easily done, I can say. Particularly right now, my mental clarity out of three. So yeah, I'll, heavenly I'll, days. I hope you carry us today. But I have been. I have been uh, fortunate to be on Story Brand, which uh, and, and learn from you as an interviewer. And yeah, yeah. your favorite. Oh well, thank you. Well, it's fun uh, for me in this format because I get to t- do two things, uh, talk about a topic that I'm incredibly passionate about, but also get to interview friends. And in this case, there are a handful of people that um, we have a mutual friend and Bob that would say we'd want around our our bed uh, if that day ever comes. And you'd be one of them. You were standing with me on my wedding day. And so... Um, I love that I get to borrow from your unique brain uh, from now and again, and I'm glad we're going to share that with our audience, but I'm just going to start off by saying I appreciate you being my friend. 
Well, I'm I, that's being a friend to you is an honor. Uh, I'm grateful. And the same thing. I want you around my bed when I die so that I can give you all the responsibilities that I didn't <laughs> Just put me in the will. <laughs> <laughs> Miles, I know, I know you're not big on money, so I didn't put you in the will. But will you take care of Betsy and me? <laughs> <laughs> Just all the responsibilities. <laughs> That's exactly it. All right, I'm going to need that. Uh, and I also want to want to thank you. I can't tell you the number of people that uh, have you have bridged into our workshops and our programmings through your writing and just being vocal about your experience. You've been such a brand ambassador uh, for us. I want to thank you for that too. Oh no, uh, uh, my pleasure. I think one of the things that you know we all kind of figure out what's the best way we can make the world better. And literally one of my top five is to get more people to go to onsite, which I don't have anything to do with uh, in terms of a business relationship, but in, just in terms of how much better your life can become by attending a living centered program or, or getting some trauma therapy or whatever else you need. There's a few different services out there. But uh, every time somebody says, you know, I read your book, went to onsite, it just makes me feel like uh, I've, I've contributed to the world being a better place. So I'm grateful you guys are doing what you're doing. It's interesting now how we, a lot of people, it, it, historically, it was a lot of people would read Scary Close, which is one of the, one of your New York Times bestsellers that you're referencing that, and then come to Onsite. But now a lot of people are coming to Onsite and then going home with Scary Close. So it's really, oh, fun. there you go. So it's mutual. It's our bestseller in the bookstore. <laughs> So we're, uh, um, if you, we'll put that in the show notes. If you don't know the book we're referencing, it's incredible about intimacy and relationships. And so we'll, we'll make sure and, and let you know about that. But why, I liked what you said there about, and you referenced us as a resource, which I appreciate, but I liked what you said about if, I think you said something, the world would be better if we could just send more people to take a look at resolving parts of their story to make them live a better life. Yeah. Why do you feel that's important? You and I do a really similar thing. You do it in real life, I do it in literature or whatever, but whenever you, you turn around and you write your story as a memoirist, you're actually deciding how to frame your past. And there's, there's a million ways to do that. I mean, you can frame your past. You can't frame it accurately, holistically. You just can't do it. It's very, it's too complicated and too many things happened and all that, but you can decide how you're going to view it. And, you know, I know that, you know, growing up, tough, like so many of us did, you know, dad split, mom was really busy. You could actually frame all of that past baggage as, as a, a, through a victim lens. And really writing memoirs helped me frame it less through a victim lens and more through a lens of the challenges that made me who I am. And I actually really enjoy who I am. So I think, um, I think Onsite does a similar thing, except you don't have to spend a year writing a book. You can go for seven days and you kind of look back on the tough things of your past and you say, okay, how can we understand this or look back at this and frame it so it benefits us today? I know that's not exactly how it works, but that's the end result. The deliverables are the same. That somehow you come away from traumatic experiences or difficult experiences, having learned from them and adjusted so that you can actually live a better life right now. The work is actually really similar to me. And I think that if you don't do that work, if you don't frame your past and the challenges that you've experienced, they're going to be framed for you. And almost any sort of default mode without you being intentional and doing some work is not going to be good. Things don't accidentally turn out great. 
in almost anything you can think of. You know, if you're building a house, the lumber's not accidentally going to come together the right way. <laughs> you know, it's just not. If you're building a marriage, it's not accidentally going to happen right. You know, we have to sort of participate with God, if you will, in this process of building our lives. And it's good to have people who know what they're doing to help you do that. And so on-site was a place that I went to with people who knew what they were doing to help me do that. To me, that's the reason that it's important to do your work is because things aren't accidentally going to turn out okay. I mean, they, they can, but they're probably not. You got to do some work. You have a unique way. It's one of the things I affirmed you in the beginning of the interview, and I, I probably take for granted just because I get to be your buddy and, and see it up front. But you've got, you're a thought leader in your space, but you also are someone who did a, a hard left turn in your business venture yeah. several years ago. And so for many of us right now that are uh, being forced to pivot and pivot fast, um, I would look to you as kind of a, a North Star on someone who's pivoted from one, uh, taken basically a set of skills and knowledge base and moved it to a whole new audience and helping in a whole different way. And for those of us that are out there trying to figure out how to get innovative right now, which is what you just referenced that we need to do in our lives in order to, to change it because things don't happen accidental. How would you encourage us in our businesses? Because you've done that really well. Listeners who don't know, I used to have a career as a writer of memoirs and I wrote at least six of those and they, they did really well. And then I wrote a business book because what people don't realize is as a writer, you're you have to run a business if you want to be a successful writer. You have an assistant, you're dealing with travel. I mean, it's a small business. And so I wrote a business book and then that book took off and it was about messaging and marketing. And now we're working on books on communication, execution, sales, leadership, all sorts of stuff, uh, negotiation. We're, we're basically becoming a business school. People come up to me and they say, hey, does anybody ever confuse you with the guy who wrote Blue Like Jazz? <laughs> And uh, I'm always tempted to say, actually, no, because those are such different human beings. And I think more people should have a life story like that, where I used to be this person, but now I'm this person. Mm. And I think too many of us get stuck thinking we're one thing. And it's always other people who are telling you that you're that one thing and then you believe them. And so you just stay that one person. And so the, the old Donald Miller, who I really love, he was a very good guy. Uh, but there were just a lot of things, a lot of failure to launch kind of things in my life. A lot of uh, food issues, you know, uh, around eating. So I ended up close to 400 pounds. Relationship issues, very codependent could get triggered by masculine authority figures who disrespected me, which comes back to father issues, but was also a kid who was perfectly willing to be self-aware and try to open up and figure out what was really going on. So as much as I was reacting to things and causing a lot of damage and numbing myself with simple carbohydrates, and which I still do, by the way, as much as I was doing that, there was also part of me that thanks to some friends growing up and my mom and some good examples was able to sort of process some of that stuff and got better. And then I would write books along that journey. And so, you know, today I'm close to 200 pounds lighter, have a great, you know, 
your wife and my wife are very good friends. So, you know, I married well out of my league. Uh, we have a relationship in which we don't fight. I don't know why we don't fight because I fought with every other, every other girl I've ever <laughs> dated. <laughs> Betsy and I don't fight and life is pretty good. And then started this business and this, and it's, and it's become a big multi-million dollar thing. And we're heading toward a hundred million as quickly as we can. And the goal is to get it to a billion. And, you know, the idea that, that the old Don could do what I'm doing now and be sane is just unthinkable. And a lot of people will come to me and they kind of miss the old Don. And I'm like, well, I, you know, he was 400 pounds and couldn't get a date. So I'm pretty good being the new Don. And the, it's all, what, I, what it really means is the, the therapy works. Mm. You know, if you, if you actually are self-aware and you do the work and I don't think of therapy as a straight path. It's a very crisscrossy, circular, weird path to the top of the mountain because everybody's doing it with blindfolds on. Mm. And, uh, but if you just keep going up, eventually you end up in, with a much better view. So that, that's part of it. And then, so, so that leads me to the business side of things where a lot of people are afraid to pivot. They're, you know, really when you look back on my life, I'm fairly confident there will be three lives. The first one is the memoirist. The second one is the business leader. And the third one is probably going to be in the political sphere. And Every time you cross into the new life, you get a lot of people who are very ticked off at you because they liked what you used to produce. It made them comfortable. And this new thing, you're, you're just reaching for too much or you think you're somebody that you're not. And the scary thing is there are a lot of people who that's actually true about them, right? They're delusional and they're doing things, but it might not be true about you and you never know unless you try. So to me, I just kept following my heart in terms of writing memoirs and then followed my heart into building a business, which by the way, is a blast. It's one of the greatest artistic experiences I've ever had trying to create a business because you don't build a business, you create a business. Mm -hmm. It's a creative process. And then, you know, moving into the political spheres, we all get older and as much as we love America, it needs some better leadership and trying to figure out in the next 10 years, how I'm going to do that. So, you know, I guess I'm not really answering your questions, except to, if there's a deliverable here or an offer for the audience, it's you probably want to change. And there's some factors that are working against you changing. And I would say, ignore them mm -hmm. and keep going. I think, I think there was, you did answer the question uh, multiple times. There were a lot of things in there. I grabbed my notebook a little too late because I wanted to take notes of some things I was picking up, not for the interview, but just because I think there are so many interesting parallels to exactly what you're saying as it relates to leadership in life, in business, in personal transformation. And I, I kept hearing you bounce back and forth between your story. And I'm so glad you referenced uh, where you are now, because in the beginning, I thought you're being a little humble here about um, what you've built, because I remember sitting on your back porch when you had this formula of story in a three ring binder that you were considering taking to the market and building a business around. And at that time it was a, I think I could build a five or $10 million business. And then I remember you saying, I want this to be a $50 million business. And yeah. now I'm sitting here hearing you say it's, it's going to hit a hundred million and a billion is the goal. And so I just, and that's not been that long ago that we were on that back porch. And the other thing I just want to make sure I affirm and reflect as part of what you shared there 
is the the marrying up part. I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, we both did. <laughs> Betsy, you 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 said I don't know why we don't fight, and I, I wanted to interrupt and say I do. It's, it's her name, Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's her. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly uh, it. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a both and. I think. That's why if I ever wrote a marriage book, it'd just be called Mary Betsy. This one's taken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's incredible. And I want to go all the way back to the beginning because I just want to break this down for a lot of people in our audience that might not know your process as well. How do you, because I do see this uh, as a challenge for people that are leaning into a life transformation opportunity, which you really can't separate the two, honestly, exactly what you described in terms of a pivot or change is what we do every day with, with leaders and just everyday people. But you have a way of putting a formula, a strategy, and a structure around it that is clear, that it's like in a story formula almost, it's like, here's where everybody typically shows up with their adversity, um, right. and here's what you can do about it. And if you could practically take us through that quickly. Uh, I know you take huge businesses through similar processes, but uh, for the person that's listening right now that may be stuck in that victim narrative, uh, yeah. and, and listen, there's no shame in that. Uh, typically, just as Don described the therapy or personal growth process as not linear, but it, it kind of goes up and down and up and down. The idea is, is over time to keep pointing in the right direction of a two degree shift so that it continues to move. You can go back and forth. If you've been told at some point in your life, and most of us have either in the system that we were imprinted in or somewhere along the way, because nobody gets to escape adversity somewhere, somehow then you've probably heard a message that wasn't supportive of your best self, your truth and your narrative. And it will be one that when stress comes up, um, it may resurface. And we will have an opportunity in that moment to ease back into the safety of a victim narrative or choose another path. Uh, So there's no shame if you're there, because I see a lot of people that come to Living Centered programs and work with us and they feel free from that space. um, And then they hit another moment. But the reason I like the way your brain works is a lot of people don't think like I think. A lot of people are intellects and they need a a framework or a step-by-step process. How would you walk people into or out of that space? Well, again, you know, I'm not a, I I go to you guys to to get therapy, so I'm not a therapist. But what I've noticed in my own life, I, I study story pretty much for a living. And I study story strangely to help businesses, political leaders universities invite their voters, their students, their customers into a narrative. And it ends up making people an enormous amount of money when they figure out how to do it. But because I study story, as a side note, I've noticed there are four major roles in stories, four major characters, if you will. There's the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. And the victim is the one that's being rescued. The villain is the one that is persecuting the victim, usually to try to get some sort of vengeance against the hero. The hero is the one trying to save the day, and the guide is the one trying to help the hero save the day. So if you think about, you know, you've got uh, Darth Vader, he's the villain. You've got Luke Skywalker, he's the the hero. You've got Obi-Wan and Yoda, they're the guides. There's usually multiple guides. And the victim, there are many victims, you know, depending on the film you want to watch. Princess Leia was a victim for a second who needed rescued. You know, it just depends. They're always trying to rescue somebody, and that's the victim. And the victim role is usually in a story a bit part. 
the the victim does not transform the victim and and the hero transforms into a greater version of themselves in every single story the victim does not the victim is a bit part that is used by the storytellers to make the villain look bad so that somebody will react to his evilness and the hero look good so that somebody will be react to being rescued and then you literally put a blanket around them and put them in the ambulance in the end of the movie and slap the back of the ambulance and they drive off. That's it. And then you go back to the hero. The camera follows the hero, not the victim. And so what I've noticed in my life is that when I play the victim, nothing happens. There's, it's, not, it's not necessarily that terrible things happen. It's just that nothing happens. There's no, there's no transformation. There's no growth. There's no, you know, I just, life keeps going, but my story pauses. Mm. And so what does a victim playing the victim look like? Playing the victim to me looks like I'm 400 pounds and I was born this way and there's nothing I can do to eat better because I hate eating better and I don't like exercising and I was just born this way. That is a victim mindset, right? A heroic mindset is this is going to be really difficult there's no easy solution. I'm probably going to mess up a thousand times, but by God, I'm going to try. Right? So to me, that, that mindset, which if you listen to the way I said it, is actually very gracious. I'm probably going to mess up a thousand times, but I'm going to try. Right? To me, that was the mindset that really changed my life. Now, you, you play the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. You play all four roles every single day. Every single day. So it's not that that person's a victim or, you're, or this person's a villain. Or it's all four roles are in, inside of us. They're separated when we go to a movie, uh, but in our actual lives, they're all four very much inside of us. This is all complete, uh, completely parallels Steve Cartman's drama triangle, where you have the persecutor, the rescuer, and the, uh, and the victim or the villain. So there's just that fourth role of the guide but interestingly, if you read Steve Cartman, he talks about these three roles and he talks about needing to escape them and understand the meta narrative. So he just described a fourth role. He just didn't name it. So what's fascinating is all four roles that Cartman describes in his work are in every movie you ever see. Mm. And the reality is story teaches us that the victim does not transform and gets nowhere. The villain is brought to justice, the hero wins the day, and the guide ultimately gets to serve the community. And the, the story's not about them, but they have this really sort of transcendental sort of role to play in the story. It's really beautiful. So what that tells me is when I play the villain, when I play the victim, my story goes nowhere. When I play the villain and rage against people and seek vengeance, because that's usually what a villain is doing. They're seeking vengeance, pretending to seek justice but they're actually fooling themselves. They're seeking vengeance. All of the energy in the movie and the story rises up to come against them and take them down. So whenever you play the villain in your life, you are summoning the energy in the people around you to join together and take you down. And if you do it for long enough, they will. Mm. Uh, and, they, and, and they have every right to, because that's what, that's what you do with villains. You throw them in prison. Or you throw them in social prison or you, you kick them out of the family or whatever. So the more I play the villain, the more I seek vengeance, the more my story is going to go the way all stories go with the villain. 
But the more I play the hero, the more my story is, it's predictable. The more my story is going to end up in this really great heroic story. The reality is if you play the hero a couple times and you win a couple times, it actually gets old and it's not very fulfilling. Mm. What's really fulfilling is when you figure out how to help other people win. Mm. And so that's when we become the guide. And that usually happens around the time we become parents because you're forced to. You have to become the guide. You have no choice but to become the guide. And everything biochemically inside of you changes so that you become the guide. Anyway, you can take all of that too far. I don't think there are very many things that are better for you than sitting down and having a really good cry, which I think occasionally is extremely appropriate. I think a lot of people would confuse that with being the victim, but it isn't. Heroes sit down and cry because this situation seems hopeless, right? But then they get up again and they say, okay, we're going to keep moving into this thing. And, uh, and those can be, those can be really beautiful times, but, but I, you know, the victim villain hero guide mindset really has shaped the last 10 years of my life, which have been really productive and really helpful and, and honestly really healthy. And I, and it overlaps with a lot of good therapy too. But, um, that's the framework I think that, that you were asking for. And I've never written it all down, but hopefully someday I will. And, uh, but it's been super, super helpful for me. And if you think about the heroic journey of actually going to onsite, going to living centered, dealing with your garbage, not being afraid of it, fighting through it, coming out, trying to change, that's the, hero, that's the hero's journey. Are you feeling burnt out, stuck, overwhelmed and a little off kilter? or just feel like you need a break and a reset? The Living Center program is a world-renowned, life-changing experience designed to help you bring yourself back to center. This six-day program will give you the opportunity to resolve the things that may be holding you back. Oftentimes, relationships, adversity, depression, anxiety, unhealthy patterns, or just the stresses of daily life can keep you from the peace and balance you deserve. Onsite's Living Center program will give you the tools to reconnect and rediscover who you are and where you want to go. You can learn more about Onsite's flagship in-person program at onsiteworkshops.com. It's interesting, you know, from a tra- through a trauma-informed lens, which you heard me say earlier that nobody really escapes adversity. Adversity, you could look at like, whether it's vicarious, secondary, or primary, you could really look at it like, stress that's been compounded and not given an outlet to release. Historically, as men, we were typically trained that you hold that, that uh, grief, that tears, that sharing struggle would be weakness. Now we're seeing a paradigm shift. It's still got a long way to go because there's a lot of old constructs still in place, particularly politically and through the faith-based structure and the education system that still hold firm to that narrative uh, through these unspoken messages. But that's starting to shift too, thankfully, where heroes and guides are the ones actually that do have the courage to share what you're sharing, which is all of themselves, to grieve when appropriate and to rise up when appropriate. But there is a payoff for the victim um, or or else people wouldn't do it. And if if you think about, and that's why I want to say it, it doesn't work. We've heard that. It doesn't work scientifically. It also doesn't work from a story standpoint, but it did work at some point in your life. If you've experienced some kind of circumstance emotionally, psychologically, physically, where you, 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 your brain was threatened, 
and it needed to go into survival. So if you think about a prey animal on the savanna, that its only choice is to play dead in that moment. But mm. with, with what happens with humans a lot is that we get stuck playing dead. Yeah. And the way you said it was um, life keeps going, but our story pauses. Yeah. And at some point, and, but it worked. It worked in the moment potentially because uh, the predator um, might have let go and put his energy on something more attractive. And right. therefore it worked. And often we think, well, that worked for survival, but we ultimately want to support people in moving from surviving to thriving. One of my favorite therapy modalities is IFS, which we use a lot, particularly with people who've experienced trauma. It's called internal family system or basically parts work. And it's where we experientially interview different parts of self. So uh -huh. instead of saying all of you is dealing with self-doubt, it's like, well, let's talk to the part of you um, that is self-doubt. That's so comforting to hear that because it's it really, we do tend to label ourselves in binary categories. And that's amazing. Anyway, I was just getting, I was nerding out on some of the ideas around the overlap. What I think is missing, and one of the reasons I'm excited, not, and I know I'm jumping around, but you just had so much to say in that piece, in the political sphere, in leadership, is that, you know, we've seen a movement around vulnerability, but it hasn't been that prominent yet, I don't believe, in strong male leadership. Right. I do think there's a lot of men that are leaning over the rails and starting to say, can it work? And can you use it? Is there a way to stand on a debate stage, on the biggest debate stage on the world, and say, I don't know? Well, I've never seen anybody do that. And yeah. what would that do to the, to the brains of the people watching uh, if someone said, I have a sneaking suspicion that if some, now, I wouldn't just leave it there, but it's, I don't know, and here's what I do when I don't know. Instead right. of, I know everything, even if I have to fill you full of bullshit, I'm going to tell you whatever it is I think you need to hear or what my, my team prepped me on prior to this to make you think I'm an expert in every potential area that you need to be an expert in, which I think is impossible. That's why mm -hmm. you build a good team around you, but you don't hear people represent the team element of politics when they're trying to win a debate. Right. It's one of the reasons, and therefore it sets up this false sense of reality well, I think I think it's it's it is possible, but you, you nailed it when you said, uh, "I don't know," but here's what I do when I don't know. And I think a lot of people don't realize there's there's strength and honesty, but it is also true that in leadership positions, especially in government positions, because there's such an enormous amount of leverage in a government position, you can hurt or help a lot of people, and so you you have to be competent. I mean, you have to. You have to know. You have to be a good decision maker, but you can also be vulnerable. I think, uh, you know, in a in a in a story in a narrative, the guide character is what we're really talking about, and the guide is the the older leader who's actually helping the hero now win the day. And our studies show, and our that that basically, if a political leader positions themselves as the guide in the narrative, and the people as the hero, they are much more likely to win the campaign. And so I think we still demand competency, but I would say that where we get foolish is, or where we, we misunderstand what that means is when we fake competency, it's actually a weakness. But to say, uh, no, currently, I don't know anything about this. That's no excuse. Here's what I do and I don't know because it's important that we solve this because people's lives are on the line here. 
that's seen as strength. That's actually seen as competency. So sometimes we have to remember that honesty is competency as long as honesty is heading towards strength with great drive and passion. Uh, Saying, you know, let me be brutally honest with you guys. I I don't know anything about this and I don't really care. (laughs) That's not helpful. You know, we don't choose that leader. So I think what, what really you're talking about, Miles, is that the leader hasn't come up who has said, I don't know, but here's what I do and I don't know. That leader hasn't surfaced yet because people don't realize they can be that nuanced and still display strength and competency. But I think that day is coming. I think it was Confucius that said, to know what you know and to know what you don't know is the mark of one who knows. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think that needs to go further. It's knowing and doing are two different things. And I think that's where we're trying to collect and then connect the dots here for people, which is why it's important to go back into your narrative and reconcile whatever old messages might keep you in certain elements of your story currently in survival, which you can know everything in the world. And it doesn't mean the actions are going to follow it up and be able to integrate, lead your business or manage through crisis or do marriage or life or whatever it might be. So that's what I wanted to ask you about that. you have been able to, uh, in a very human way, because you and I have been buddies for a while, so we, we, we call each other when we're going through storms, and, uh, but you've been able to integrate this work in an effective way, because you did LCP quite some time ago, and you've been, even hearing the way you describe it, you've put it into practice in, your, in all elements of your life, I would argue, because I just know your life well. Talk about the integration piece, because a lot of people struggle with that. They have this big life moment where life gives them this opportunity for change, and then they struggle to either sustain it or keep it integrated. What has been a formula for you to stay centered going forward? Well, I think it's a perspective, and certainly I have no no license to give this kind of advice, but I will tell you what has helped me a lot, and that is an understanding that not unlike that you were saying earlier, you are, there's a part of you that's filled with doubt, part of you that's confident, part of you that, to understand that I am a nuanced human being filled with contradictions. Hmm. And to move all of those contradictions forward, you know, no matter how slowly, we just all have to keep going forward. And to me, that that's the thing that's really helped me is that I am both extremely driven and lazy. I am both, you know, incredibly smart and ridiculously unaware of my blind spots. I am both, you know, I mean, all these things. I've, I've had several friends and you have two who have cheated on their spouses. I'm talking about guys who've done this. And it concerns me when they come back and they want to be seen as this whole person who would never do that again. And I, and I just go, no, 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 you you both want to have an incredible marriage and you love your wife and you also are flirting with this insecurity or maybe this sexual desire over here. You're both at the same time. And when you really understand you're both at the same time, you can then manage because you can't manage a situation without really facing the brutal facts of the reality of that situation. Because because what is what is not not acknowledging the nuance of our humanity, it's it's fake. 
we're lying to ourselves. Mm. And that's where you, that's where the trouble starts. Right. And, uh, and so I think, um, I think that's really helped me is, is an enormous amount of grace and an enormous amount of ability to say, you, you are many different persons conflicting with each other. Let's try to use this. Let's try to move this blob forward if we can, and instead of only showing people a part of myself that I want them to see so that they will turn around and affirm that that's who I am. Mm. Only the good part. And that's just not true. And here's what happens. And this is the secret, Miles. It's so amazing because it's counterintuitive. In my life, and maybe it's anecdotal, I'm certain it's anecdotal, but in my life, the more I've been bold about being who I really am, I feel like a diesel truck that's slowly going up a mountain, right? And the people who are faking it are on these little crotch rockets and they just zip past me up the mountain. But as I've gotten older, almost every one of them at some point is on the side of the road out of gas. Mm. And because it just doesn't, it does, doesn't work. It's not sustainable. So the temptation when the crotch rocket passes you is to ditch the diesel truck and go get, you just got to go that, that person's going to be hitchhiking in about four miles. I'll, I'll pick them up and try to take them with me. You know, it, it just, I've just seen it happen over and over again. So, you know, just moving, slowly moving in the right direction. You know, this is going to be even tougher when I get into politics because I'm going to have to, you know, people want competency. And so how far do you let this help? I'm not, I'm not somebody who wants to share all my dirty laundry with everybody. I don't think there's wisdom in that personally, but you know, how much do you actually share and how much do you allow people, how much do you trust people to be nuanced when the press really just wants a soundbite that they can spin against you? You know, it's going to be an interesting journey. Right. Yeah, that's going to be the difficulty, I think, politically, is, is there is a place that I think humanity is going and it's naturally or organically moving towards, but there is this cultural conditioning that we've all had that is very resistant to that movement. Yes. And so in order to be effective at curating a message that people will hear that will be effective in helping advance the mission, you have to, I think, weigh where is humanity right now, collectively, not individually. Yeah, yeah. And what, what tolerance do they have to be progressive enough to hear and accept certain truths at what time? Because wouldn't it be amazing you know, if you could do that now? If you could just be like, here's all of me, and this is why I feel like I'm a good leader. I know my blind spots. I'm self-aware. This is where. But people may not be ready for that. So when you're moving into the public political space, I see it ha- has to be more strategic. And in some ways, unfortunately, unfortunately, I think you're right about that. I think, but the other thing is I've really reconciled myself to this, that I'm pretty determined, you know, and again, we're talking about six, eight years from now, I've got a lot of work to do on my own company and I'm focused on that, but I'm pretty determined to be who I am. And if the world isn't ready, then I'm not going to be successful at it. I'm just not. And I'm perfectly great with that. And to me, because I don't think you can, you know, you can, you can win a campaign and lose your soul. And uh, to me, it's just not worth it. But yeah, and I don't mistake, I, I may have said that in a way, I don't think we, we lose who we are at all. I was referencing how vulnerable can you be about sharing blind spots or what you said, dirty laundry in the process? Yeah. What, what is the, where are people 
at this time to be able to hear that and not come through their own pain uh, to cast judgment versus empathy. Yeah. Gosh, we aren't judged for our sins. We're judged for what we hide. Come on. And to me, I just thought that's my leadership. And it, but there's no excuse for the sins. Don't get me wrong. There's no excuse, right? We've got to be the heroic person who's continuing to work on ourselves. But you're going to be judged for it only if you hide it. That is so good. There's been so many nuggets. I could, we've sat on porches at times and talked for six hours. Uh, like, yeah. and I miss those <laughs> days, honestly, because uh, since our lives have both gotten busy with, as businesses have taken off and families uh, have started in different things, we don't get the time we used to get. And I could do this for another couple hours, but I know you're a busy guy, so I want to respect that. But it's just so natural to talk to you. And I do believe what I shared earlier, I think your, your self-awareness, uh, when I talked about w- what is it about you that you have become not just a hero of your story, but now you're a guide of your story and many others, and you've integrated this work into your life and your leadership. And I think it's because, and I, I can relate, it's because at some point, shame stopped the ceiling rose and looking at our blind spots, owning them, acknowledging them and not feeling terrible about them allowed us to integrate and move forward in a new human kind of way. I've watched you do that in real time. We used to take vacations together right before we had kids and vacations became a thing of the past, but I think we got to do like three or four years of it. <laughs> yeah. Where just the, the two of us as, and our spouses went to places in when Betsy and Vanessa would go to bed, you and I might be sitting by a fire and, um, and the conversation with us, you'd always go, are you see, what are you seeing in me? Uh, are you seeing anything that you're noticing? I mean, who asked that question? You know, that's just, and I love that you would. And I, you know, ma'am, that's, I would be honest about it. I was like, I, I see this, this, and it wasn't a, Oh my gosh, I'm a loser. I'm failing in life. It was like, thank you. Thank you for saying that. That's something I really feel like I can shift and change. To me, that's integration and it's integrity and it's something I value and learn from in you. So I appreciate the way you've mirrored it through this conversation. Well, I received that, but it's also incredibly ironic because I learned all of it from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So thanks, coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to close out the, the, the conversation in our time with you finishing a sentence, if you'd be, if you'd be willing. And I try with these conversations not to be overly formulaic um, because I, I just, I like the, the ebb and flow in, in the art of conversation and where it goes. And I think people can pluck the magic out of it uh, wherever they may need it or not. But this is one that I just love to hear how people articulate and land. Um, it's something we do a lot in our change process, which is we do something that we borrowed from another you know, tradition. We take a lot of different modalities and we try to innovate and not get stuck on what worked or what was, in, what was created from this movement in the 50s and we try to make it current. One of which is just simply doubling for people or asking people to finish a sentence versus asking them a question. Mm. You know, I, I think there's something magical about turning questions into statements. And that's a therapeutic technique, like say more about that. And instead of asking a question that implies that we know an answer to and often gets us in the wrong part of our brain. But I'd love for you to finish the sentence, I am. You know, the first word that came to me, and I don't know if that's how the game works, but it is just the word willing. Mm. 
and and it's in a strange context. It's in the context of the fear of the the finiteness of life that you and I are going to, they're going to put us in the ground someday, Miles. I don't know if you heard. And we don't get to control that. Betsy's 12 years younger than me. I mean, I'm, I'm such an, I'm such a planner and preparer of the future. It's ridiculous. So, you know, I've got her financially taken care of and socially she's great and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm nowhere near dying. Don't get me wrong, but I'm literally I'm often 50 years out in terms of what I'm planning. And you know, there's that. And then there's the unknowns of whether Betsy and I are going to have kids There's the unknowns of whether or not this idea of maybe running for Congress or running for Senate someday is a delusional fantasy. There's an unknown, you know, as to whether my nuanced personality can do this without, without crashing and burning, there's an unknown. And so all, you know, all you can do in the midst of that is say, okay, somebody else made the rules here of this life. I didn't make them. Somebody else made the sun come up, sun go down, put DNA inside me that made me largely who I am. There's something going on and I don't know what it is. I really don't. I mean, theologically, we all have explanations, but we don't know if they're true. We don't. If you're brutally honest, you don't. You have to have faith. And so all I can say is, is I'm not courageous. I'm not, not going to be afraid. I'm not perfect. I'm not evil, but I'm willing. Come on. I love it. That's, uh, I love that you, you brought that in with one word. I, and it's not surprising because I know you help, uh, you've helped some of the biggest businesses in the world craft their, their mission and vision statements. And in a sense, I think we often fail to craft our own personal statement. It's just like, who, mm-hmm. who, who are we? Because ultimately, without our why, uh, we don't do our how very well. Yeah, and so um, I, I am willing. Um, I'll, take, I'll take a page out of that playbook. And uh, it's, you know, it's fun to have friendships that have a dual purpose or benefit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's icing on the cake. I mean, I think we could, we'd be fine just hanging out and going fishing and um, talking about the weather. We could do that too. And we, you know, we do that some, but there's just always such rich richness that I feel both valued and I always feel like I received something. And I think that's the nature of good friendship. And so I appreciate you modeling that. Well, feeling is mutual. Miles, love you guys. Yeah, thanks for being a part of this, buddy. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. All right, we'll see you. If you want to learn more about OnSite and our various in-person, online, and digital offerings, please go to onsiteworkshops.com. At OnSite, we have seen that enhancing emotional health changes lives and helps us collectively create a more empathetic and more self-aware world. Our unique and proven therapeutic framework and healing hospitality can help you find the emotional wellness you deserve. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call one 800 341 Three two, or visit onsiteworkshops.com.